Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul where we talk about the legal and business side behind the glitz and glam of Hollywood. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, entertainment lawyer to the stars. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, founder of Lola Media, pop culture enthusiast, lover of movies and TV, you name it. This is a special episode that we've got for you, given that it is the award season we just had the oscars which we'll discuss in a second and we've got the grammys and we wanted to do something a little fun so today we're hosting our own award show and it's called the Pollies. the Pollies, and uh we'll we'll get into what the Pollies are round of applause for the Pollies. round of applause for the Pollies, the best award show in the entertainment industry but before we get into it let's actually just do our quick recap of what's been happening first of all paul i'd like to Extend my condolences to you. I'm bummed for you, for Duke not making it to the finals. You were just there watching it. Tell us what happened. I know. It's such a bummer. Yeah, I was back at campus this past weekend watching the Final Four. I was there. I had a scholarship to Duke, and we had a reunion sort of weekend welcoming the newest members. And everything was setting up for such a perfect sort of storybook ending with Coach K playing in his Final Final Four in his last year. And I was back at campus, and everyone was so excited, and the game was incredibly close. It could have gone either way, but UNC ended up winning. And to add insult, I guess, to injury, this weekend also happens to be the Grammys, and I declined to go to the Grammys because I was going to be at, at Duke this weekend. So Damn, dude, that sucks. But you know, that's the thing about sports, right? You can't control it. Highest of highs, lowest of lows, and there's really not a lot in between. I mean, dude, passing up the Grammys, I mean, I guess you're a big Duke fan. You went there, basketball. I totally get it, but like, it's the Grammys. No, I know. I know. But so like the Grammys recently pushed their schedule because of COVID, you know, normally it's before the Oscars. And so I didn't know at the time that it was going to be this weekend. And by the time everything kind of like lined up, I had already had my plans in place to be at Duke and it was an important thing. And I'm very sort of close with the scholarship foundation. I've always told them, you know, if they ever need anything from me, I'm happy to represent. That's cool. Because, yeah. Did you find any fans of the show while you were there? I did. Yeah, there's a lot of support among the young Duke and UNC students, you know, who are in tech and law and finance, entertainment. They thought it was really cool and educational. So 
I'm glad because, you know, that's our goal to be entertaining and occasionally educational. I mean, look, that's ideal. If we can be entertaining and people still learn something, fantastic. It means we're doing our job well, or specifically in you in this case, or are doing your job well by educating us. I'm just here. And they liked you too. They liked you relief. too, to be fair. <laughs> you know, they were like, hey, Mesh, Mesh knows what he's talking about. Well, I appreciate that. And it's always nice to find that they're fans of the show. But obviously, Grammys, you know, we have to mention a little bit about the Oscars. I think starting with, we were both right. Coda yeah. won for Best Picture, which I was super happy for. Coda was a really cute film. I, I liked it, too. And it didn't offend anyone, which I think is almost a prerequisite now. And he won for Best Supporting Actor. And his speech was incredible, signed it out, but it was so lovely. It was so well done. I think huge win for Apple, you know, kind of pulling it out and beating out all these other big studios and, and winning Best Picture. Power of the Dog did well for Netflix and obviously King Richard. King Richard. I mean, King Richard yeah. did well for HBO Max. But, you know, look. It's probably over-talked about at this point, but the, the slap was a big deal. I mean, I think everyone's talking about the Oscars all week. Everyone's talking about Will Smith. Everyone's talking about Chris Rock. You know, I have my thoughts on this. I do think it's almost like overly played out to this point. But, Paul, I know you wanted to say something about that. I think it's unfortunate overall, and I'd like to say more about it, but frankly, you know, Will and Jada's foundation is a client of the firm, so... You know, I'm not really at liberty to discuss anything, but I just I would say it's unfortunate overall. And I think it sort of became such a huge news story and it kind of distracted people or took people's focus away from the awards and the films. In fact, when it happened, the winner for best documentary, actually one of the four winners was, was Questlove. Uh, well, Questlove, but one of his co-producers was the first South Asian to ever win an Oscar. Oh, really? And he didn't really get his moment in the sun because Chris Rock said Questlove and four white guys, and, and that wasn't factually true. Yeah, look, we're not going to get into it. Obviously, it, the whole thing sucks. It was terrible. It was terrible what happened. It sends a, There's all sorts of bad stuff around the whole thing. Been overplayed out. We're going to skip it for now, but obviously if anything comes up more on the legal angle of it, we'll bring it up again. Moving on, let's talk about Moon Knight, which is Marvel's new show on Disney Plus, introducing a new character. It's Oscar Isaac. I watched it. I watched it three times. Part of it was I was trying to understand what was going on, but I'll just say this. I think that it kicks off. It's an eight episode series, six or eight episode series that hopefully launches this character into the MCU. It's an interesting way to test it out. I mean, releasing something on Disney Plus. You watch the show specifically for Oscar Isaac. He's brilliant in it. He's so much fun to watch. This guy is just killing it right now with these uh, with the content he's putting out there. But I'm really enjoying it. And I like I liked the whole like Egyptian mythology stuff. I think that's pretty interesting. Paul, you haven't watched it yet, but interesting to discuss like how this benefits Oscar Isaac moving into the MCU potentially. This week has just been crazy with work and travel and everything, so I haven't been able to watch it. It came out on the 30th, right? March 30th. So That's right, yeah. The goal would be to watch it tonight. And last week, we discussed sort of the typical deal structure for someone who's going to be a lead in a new Marvel franchise or potential franchise, which would be a significant amount of options on future pictures, future seasons, related shows, cameos, etc. And it's a big commitment. And so that's the typical deal. And, you know, it's coming out in the trades recently. I think even today, maybe it was released that Oscar Isaac just did a one season deal. And that's really unique for Marvel to sort of invest in a star and not have the sort of contractual guarantee that they will be 
in subsequent seasons. Because if the show's a hit, you got a much tougher negotiation on your hands. And I get, there's ex- examples where other actors have tried to take this approach. I'm not saying it, you know, yeah, yeah, actors yeah. don't say, hey, I want to do a one season deal or a one picture deal. Frankly, you know, a lot of lawyers that we were negotiating against at the time would say things like that because they don't want to put a ceiling on what their client can get in the future or at least in the reasonable short term. And in this case, I guess Oscar Isaac said, hey, I'd like to show creatively, but I'm just not going to sign on to this long of a commitment and you know let's do season one and if we like it if we're both super into it let's have another conversation and they bought it and that's great for him i guess it shows the power of his brand and you said he's he's excellent in it and you know what i tell my clients is sometimes you have to be willing to walk to get the deal that you want but it doesn't always work out i think he's hot right now i mean he's hot from not only physically i mean this guy is a stud but you know he's in dune He's in the Star Wars franchises. Like he is there. He's clearly like solidified himself as like I can be an actor in these big pictures as well. The acting is just on another level. I think it'd be funny. I think Oscar Isaac should put in the contract. Hey, you pay me extra to bring my beautiful beard in in future episodes or movies <laughs> with the MCU because I've never that guy has the most incredible beard I've ever. I'm so jealous. I wish I had a beard like that. The guy's just a stud, and he's so good. He's so freaking good. I actually was listening to a podcast, one of the Ringerverse podcasts, where it was saying that he came up with on the spot, but of wanting to do a British accent to like distinguish between the characters because he plays a few different characters, you know on the on the series and he came up with this idea of doing a british accent and i think the accent's actually pretty i find it good i mean i'm not british but i have a terrible fake british accent and i think it was better than that so i think it's cool it's it's tough to do right i mean there's there's other characters who and don't get me started who started with an accent yeah. <laughs> like wanda maximoff oh or God. black widow when their the initial movie they kind of have an accent then in the second movie and then as they get further and further into the MCU, they lose their accents and all of a sudden they're just speaking normally because it's just too hard to keep character. So I guess that just goes to show how good Oscar Isaac is. And just to bring that up as a little anecdote, I know there was talk and discussions about Joaquin Phoenix being Doctor Strange and it would have been super cool, but at the end of the day, you know, he wasn't willing to commit to that amount of pictures and that amount of press and marketing. I think Benedict Cumberbatch was always sort of a, a leading candidate, but you know there were questions about scheduling and, yeah. and budget and things like that, and they ended up going with their first choice. So good for Oscar Isaac. Yeah, and it sounds like he's crushing it. Let's see how let's see how it turns out. If it's super popular, you know the guy. I'm sure there's always a price. I'm assuming Paul. That's how things work. Give him enough money, he'll do whatever. You know because the character has been seen in the Avengers and the comic books, etc. As they build up the world. But now you can reboot. I'm not saying you can't. It's just it's tough to reboot Oscar Isaac, but they rebooted Terrence Howard. I, I assume Kevin Feige's got like an idea behind like you don't bring on an Oscar Isaac without some type of plan. And at least we have like a little mini series here. So at least we'll just have that. Yeah. And we'll see how it does. I think it's smart from a perspective of let's see how the character does with fans. And worst case scenario, we have content on Disney Plus. Best case scenario. We have content on Disney Plus that now everyone wants a standalone movie with this guy, which could be interesting, and then add him to the MCU. I don't think anyone would confuse me with Oscar Isaac, but Kevin, you know how to reach me if uh, (laughs) season two negotiations go awry. I love it. Let's take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll get into the polys. (laughs) 
All right, folks, so we're back and very excited to start our own little award show here in honor of the award season that's happening right now. The Polly's, and we're going to basically, what we're going to do here is we have a few categories that Paul's going to tell us about. We have nominations within that. We're going to have a group discussion between Paul and I, and then we're going to pick a winner for all of them, and we're going to have some fun. We have the most transparent award <laughs> process in all of Hollywood. Yeah. Basically, last minute, like you're going to see a live version of how we pick a winner. And here's the thing Paul's a lawyer. He could argue his winner. I'm not that well versed in that type of stuff. So he might end up winning each category if we disagree on nominations. But, Paul, why don't you introduce the categories? I'll let you win one. I'll let you win one. Okay. So we have the four Paulies. Da 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 da. Drum roll, please. Best box office performance. Best streaming service. Best M&A deal, and Pauly for the best legal argument. I like these. I like these. I mean, you and I worked on these together. It was fun coming up with them. But let's start off with best box office performance. Now, I don't want y'all to think that this is just obvious. It's not about just the number in terms of like how much the movie made. I think we want to look at this in a couple of ways. I think we want to look at it like, it's been COVID. People are going back to the theater. What was the biggest surprise? What what was the biggest, you know, if, as an audience member, was it like shocking? Did it introduce like, oh my God, the IP in this could be spectacular and we're going to have all these new characters. Like there's a bunch of stuff that goes into this. So it's it's not just about how much money it made, but also like- we've But at the end of the day, the money matters, right? The money matters. And so just so Paul, you know, Everything that I've put here in the nominations were all the top box office performances. And they all do have interesting IP behind them, and they all are kicking off something new. And we'll go through them. And then I think the other— Well, I have an honorable mention, but we'll, we'll go through your four. Go through well, your four. Let's, and, the, and the other thing is that we've had this issue with, like, streaming and being out in theaters at the same time. Now, you all notice in trailers, they say only in theaters because they're trying to push people back out there. So— the nominees They've are, always said that. They've, have they they've always said, said that? that? Maybe I'm paying more attention yeah. now because like we've had streaming. Yeah, you're paying more attention now, but they would always say only, only in theaters, theaters, even when we were kids. Okay, fair enough. Okay, well, I, th I thought it was like, oh, man, I should go to the theater because this is not going to be on streaming. The nominees are, we've got, of course, Spider-Man No Way Home, The Batman, Scream, and James Bond's No Time to Die. I saw all of these in theaters, including Scream. Can I do an honorable mention? Yeah, what's your honorable mention? The Battle of Lake Changjin, the highest grossing film in China, which was the second highest grossing film of the year. Honorable mention, almost made a billion dollars in China alone. Wow, I don't even think I've heard of this movie. What's the highest grossing film in Chinese history? Well, okay, I mean, it, it almost made a billion dollars in China. 900 million in Chinese box. Yeah. That, it's a war movie, three-hour war epic. That's a fair honorable mention. Let's figure out. Let's discuss. There's obvious choices here, but I would like to make some arguments for some of the others. In this case, the main category, the main nominees all have like some type of IP universe to them or they've had other series or movies. They're part of a sequel or a trilogy or whatever it may be. Let's go through it. Let's talk about first, who do you think should win this? Spider-Man. I mean, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, not to not to you know cut out all the drama here, but let's let's just let me just give you my my case for Spider Man. Okay. okay? Almost two billion in box office came out during the height of Omicron in the U.S. Eight hundred million in the U.S. One point one billion outside the U.S. 
you had a lot of people sort of on the edge, industry observers were wondering, are theaters going to survive COVID? Are we still going to have these huge blockbuster pictures? It was a great film. Many people rewatched it. It's sixth highest grossing film of all time. And it was more than double in terms of box office, the number two worldwide. So I don't see how you make another case for any other film. All right. Well, at least give me a chance here to, <laughs> to tell you why I think sure, Scream sure. should win this. I'm just kidding. I did see Scream in theaters, and I was a big Scream 1 and Scream 2 fan. It was a fun movie to watch. Definitely not the winner here. I do think that Batman has a chance at winning this, and I'll tell you why. I saw it twice in theaters. I thought it was surprisingly so well done. It kicks off an entire new universe for Batman. While in Spider-Man's case, he's already been a part of a universe and like we kind of knew it was going to happen here. I think in the in the case of the Batman, we got a dark, gritty, detective, noir-style Batman. Pattinson absolutely crushed it. Colin Farrell's The Penguin crushed it. Paul Dano as the Riddler crushed it. They introduced the Joker in it. It has so much potential for being like, not only if they're going to do a trilogy on it, but like kickoff characters, including Catwoman. I would say that it was a surprising hit, did decent at the box office, was a fun movie to watch. 800. It'll, it'll be lucky to get to 800, which is not, not a bad But again, it's not just about the numbers. I mean, I like both. It's movies. not. I like both movies. Right. And I think the way we should find a winner here is that what was the biggest surprise in the movie and how does it open it up for like potential even more success in terms of IP? So I think in that case, you're probably right. It is Spider-Man No Way Home that opens up all these new cases for Marvel to have spinoffs and crossovers and collaborations. And so it's actually a Sony film. You know, it's co-production, but it's Sony controls it. And that's why you won't see it on Disney+. Plus. I think it's actually under an output deal with Stars, but yeah, it's a Sony picture. It's interesting because you can buy it now on Apple, but here I'm actually just curious how this works. It's a Disney-made movie, though, right? Like the it was it's a Kevin, Kevin yeah, yeah Kevin, essentially it, it's Kevin a Kevin Feige produced movie, right? So I mean, this is we say this all the time. I'm sure our audience is this is an episode in oh, itself. Yeah. We're gonna like, do the whole one backstory on yeah, of Spider-Man, yeah, yeah. but suffice it to say. The film rights for Spider-Man have been licensed to Sony on a perpetual basis unless Sony sort of elects to decline further production of movies and then they could potentially revert. But why would Sony do that, right? That keeps them relevant as a movie studio. But in the Andrew Garfield, sort of in the reboot before Tom Holland was cast, you know, they decided to do a deal with Marvel where they collaborated. It's like, hey, if you can't beat him, join him. And so... Kevin and his team help out on the Sony movie. Sony sort of controls the spend and, you know, they can sort of share creative notes and characters can sort of exchange back and forth between Sony and Marvel, as you see, right? So Spider-Man appears in Avengers movies and vice versa. Some Marvel characters appear in this, but it's very much a shared sort of IP or it's a collaborative process, but Sony controls the film. Just from that alone, from being able to succeed at that and, and making it like this amazing, incredible experience, I do think Spider-Man should win. I agree with you. So look, Paul, you made the case. I agree with you. As much as I love the Batman, Spider-Man No Way Home wins our category for best box office performance. I think very excited to see what happens with Spider-Man moving forward and all the cool things that Marvel is going to do. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with our second Polly. 
Paul, so the second award goes for best streaming service. And again, it's not just the obvious thought here. This is a little bit more fun because, you know, we have our opinions here on good shows, but I think you want to think about which platform has the best shows in terms of popularity, who has the potential to build up IP from that, that we keep coming back. You know, who's just done a good job, like creating shows around certain IP and characters. Obviously, there's a lot of interesting people in this category and interesting companies. Let's kick it off with who the nominees are. Drum roll, please. Okay. And the nominees for best streaming service are Disney Plus, Netflix, HBO Max, and Hulu. Plus, I have my two honorable mentions, Amazon Prime and Peacock. But my vote, like you said, there's no losers here. All these services are great for various reasons. My vote, actually, I'm going against the fact that their stock price has tanked over the past six months. I'm going with Netflix. I think this is interesting because we got to talk about, let's talk about each of the nominees and what they have in their little bundles here. So like Disney Plus, obviously, is very much focused on Star Wars and Marvel. We had Loki, WandaVision, Bobo Fett, which wasn't that great. Mandalorian saved the day on that one. Hawkeye, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Obviously, you have Moon Knight now. Netflix had Love is Blind, which I watched in two days red notice ozark bridgerton squid game inventing anna i feel like man they really killed it with all those they also have last kingdom which last kingdom and vikings which i know that that maybe not the the widest appeal but i like both of those sort of like vikings is on amazon prime now the sequel series is on Uh, netflix okay interesting yeah i mean look i'll say this netflix i'm I loved Love is Blind. I thought Squid Game was amazing. Ozark, I'm like obsessed with. I'm waiting to finish that. And I didn't really get into Inventing Anna. Hulu's been interesting because I have been, I'm watching The Dropout right now. They have Only Murders in the Building, which is coming out for a sequel with Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. They had the Pam and Tommy, which is the story about the sex tape with Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. And then they have Dope Sick, which I've heard is great things. And then you have HBO Max, which just consistently kills it. You've got Euphoria, Hacks, which I love, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I love, Station Eleven, which I love, The Gilded Age, which is amazing, Peacemaker, which was amazing as well. And then obviously in terms of what you mentioned, Honorable Mention, Amazon Prime and Peacock. I think Amazon Prime is also killing it too. I think they did great with Reacher and, and some of the other stores. So you're saying Netflix. I am saying Netflix. I don't think there's a loser in the bunch, to be honest with you. I think they all have their arguments and you can make a case for any of them. I'm going with Netflix because that's what I spend most of my time. Yeah. My my dwindling free time is generally watching shows on Netflix. But, you know, I it could easily be any of the others. I'm going to go with HBO Max and I'll tell you why. I think that they have just consistently killed it with everything that they make. And I thought Peacemaker was an interesting like addition to the HBO Max family that was just really, really well done, really gritty, really dark. Euphoria is incredible. Everyone on that show is awesome. And I think Station Eleven was just really, really well done. And the Gilded Age too. Like I think when I when I'm thinking about the which is the one that I'm opening up the most, and in this case it's HBO Max, and obviously they got all those movies now, and you know they have all, all sorts of other content. So I don't know. I, I mean, I'm gonna say HBO Max. You're saying Netflix. I don't think there's a real winner here. I think we can have our preferences, and maybe they tie. Yeah, let's go with tie then. Let's go with tie. Let's go with tie. Okay. Well, now here's the thing. The next category actually helps with some of the 
content that can be on a platform. And I like this category a lot. It's the best M&A deal. Which company made an acquisition that not only has great potential for creating continued content and IP, but obviously like fits with the platform itself. And now since everyone's competing for streaming, especially with Netflix, like this is very important to do. And it's not just like content in the sense of shows and networks. It could be a little bit of mix here. And we have some interesting nominees for the yeah. category. So go this ahead. This is a, I love this category. This is my favorite, Paul. Well, no, I don't want It's my second favorite, <laughs> Paulie, but it is, there's so many factors. And the other thing about this category is I think you need to give it some time to sort of marinate and really evaluate this thing. So we're going to do this kind of prematurely based on potential and vision and, you know, our sort of view as fans, not really business executives. We're not advising on whether the deal was good or whether the premium was too high or whether, you know, someone overpaid. It's really just, is this, does this have potential to sort of unlock value, change a paradigm, create new business models? And so the nominees, without further ado, are Warner Media and Discovery spinning off to be their own company. Second nominee, Microsoft buying Activision for $69 billion, $95 a share. Third, Amazon purchase of MGM for $8.5 billion. And fourth, uh, last but not least, Mesh, this is your nomination, Blackstone. Yeah, I put it in here. I think it's a portfolio company. They're putting almost a billion dollars into Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine. Well, I think this one, this one we have to, I think, go through each one. So tell us a bit more about the Warner Media and Discovery deal and why you think that's an interesting one. Sure. So the Warner Media Discovery deal. So, you know, taking, and we've talked about this on prior episodes, David Zaslov has been running Discovery for 15 years, and he was a content executive at NBC for about 15 years before that. So he's been in television for 30 years, and he is, without a doubt, you know, an all-star in, in the content game. He's made Discovery into a force in television. And, you know, in this instance, you know, he, he he's snatching up Warner Media, which was just bought by AT&T like two years ago. Yeah. And it doesn't really fit on their balance sheet. And as the companies, they didn't really work together. So AT&T was kind of eager to get it off its books. And they found a dancing partner in Discovery. So he's getting a ton of value at a discounted price, arguably, because it's certainly less than AT&T paid for that same asset a couple years ago. And so anytime you can do that, I think you know that's a couple billion in value created right there. And he's going to have a much more compelling streaming offering when you add essentially HBO Max to Discovery. So I think as far as competing with Disney Plus and Netflix and Amazon Prime and all the other powerful streaming platforms, this is a really solid play for them. That's interesting. I think you make a very good case for it. I also like the idea behind, you know. It. That's not my selection, by the way. That's just no, I know, I know. And um, it wouldn't be mine either, but I, I like the case that you made for it. Moving on to the next uh, nominee. This is actually my my vote for winner. It's Microsoft acquisition of Activision. So take a step back. Microsoft has a visionary CEO. Satya Nadella. Satya Nadella, yeah. Amazing. The guy's super smart. Super smart. South Asian. Woohoo. You know, he's transitioning Microsoft from being a company that sold sort of products that you would buy every couple of years, like Office and whatever, to a software as a service company, a cloud company, where everything's based on subscription and it has a more sticky and constant revenue. Yeah. And the next phase is in his vision is to get I mean, they've always been in gaming. They have Xbox. I mean, not always, but they've been in gaming for a while with Xbox and Halo. But this is a major move. And 
acquiring Activision, which is the maker of World of Warcraft, Diablo, Call of Duty, Candy Crush, and oh, yeah. has huge esports properties. They're basically the combined Microsoft sort of Xbox platform and Activision will be the third biggest gaming company in the world. And just to think about this, there's 3 billion active gamers. So you could say maybe half of the population that has access to broadband plays video games. And it's a $200 billion a year industry. Yeah. So they're making a huge leap into this. They have a ton of cash on their books anyway. So this is an all cash deal. And you know, companies, maybe we're hitting a recession right now, but at the end of 2021, everything was incredibly strong. And if you have the cash on your books, why not invest in the future? Plus, Activision, as we'd say in the business sense, has a little hair on it. There were some lawsuits filed by employees about some workplace harassment, right, and right. their CEO was under fire. So you could say arguably that maybe hurt their valuation and allowed Microsoft to pick it up at a little bit of a discount. And it also it also uh, positions them from the metaverse. Yeah, so I love everything about this deal. I had done a deeper dive on it. You know, I was working on an, another show, and we were diving deeper into the subject. I, and I think it's really interesting from a standpoint of, you know, Satya already like it was like six or eight x Microsoft from a stock price point of view when he took over, which basically is pretty incredible given that you know innovation gets stifled in big tech, and he's done a fantastic job just innovating and making good acquisitions. I mean, LinkedIn, uh, GitHub, and like LinkedIn's one of those things. Like, look, and we don't really care about it. We don't use it. It does make them $2.2 billion a year. And, you know, GitHub does well. I actually use LinkedIn a lot. Do you? <laughs> okay. As a lawyer, I think you got to use LinkedIn. Yeah, so like if people add me on LinkedIn, I'm not checking it often. Although I do know that people share on LinkedIn and they get a lot of engagement for like business posts and stuff. It's probably something that we should start doing. But I think to your point about the metaverse, I think that's really interesting. Like while gaming is really big for Microsoft, it's not like that significant portion of their revenue, but they are prepped for it, right? Like they have Xbox Live, they have Azure, which is their cloud computing platform that allows them to build this massive library of content that people can use. And it just all sets them up perfectly for what the metaverse looks like, making more of a consumer play here in gaming and I like it. I think it's cool. And let's let's be clear. I mean, entertainment encompasses gaming. Yeah. And gaming, you could say, is the fastest growing segment within the entertainment industry. Yes. So I mean it sounds like a lot of money, seventy billion dollars, but that's you know, it's a multi-trillion dollar company. So And then moving on from that, we got Amazon acquiring MGM for eight point five billion. Obviously MGM is the studio that's James Bond and a, and a bunch of other really in a lot of ways it's Hollywood royalty. I mean, it was yeah back in the day it was one of the premier studios with as you said James Bond. You could say it's maybe lost a little bit of its luster over the years because they haven't had as many sort of cultural or box office successes as sort of their competitors like Disney, but they do have some valuable IP. Amazon Prime, I enjoy as a service. I think it's become really interesting. And besides getting James Bond and the Rocky movies and Pink Panther, like Silence of the Lamb, Robocop, like some, look, they're getting some interesting movies. Does that mean it's going to be big? No, I think it's what they do with that IP afterwards. Like Amazon Prime did Reacher, and which was, you know, not the version that Tom Cruise did in the movies. It was done, I think, based on the way the books were written. I thought it was fantastic. I thought they did an incredible job. I'd be curious to see if they do anything with James Bond, not only from a movie standpoint, but as a series. Look, I'm a big Daniel Craig, James Bond person. I would love to see them just do him justice and bring someone 
interesting and that we all really Idris. love. And it's time look, for Idris. I love Idris Elba as James Bond. I do think he's a, he's a little old, but maybe you can make an older James Bond. I don't know. I think Idris is a stud. I would love to see him as James Bond. Look, from a content perspective, I think it's interesting. They just added a bunch of content to Amazon Prime, which is great. And then, of course, we've got Blackstone and Hello Sunshine. Hello Sunshine has made, Race Witherspoon has made some good hits here. She's made Big Little Lies, which is the HBO hit. She's done a few other movies. It's done well. She's also making a big play into the metaverse with NFTs. And, you know, I think good for her, like that she's done a fantastic job building something. I would say here that, it's between Microsoft and Activision and then Amazon and MGM. And I agree with you, Paul. I think I think this is a no-brainer. I think you made a good argument for Microsoft. And I'm personally like, I, I love it. I love the I love the deal. I love that Microsoft continues to innovate and stand out, like given how far they've come from a garage and making, you know, Word Doc and Office and Excel. And I think the clear winner here is Microsoft's acquisition of Activision. I think we can move on to the next subject, which is our last category of the show and i know this is paul this is a favorite of yours as well potentially you want to announce what it is yeah yeah so this is the poly for the the best legal argument what we're doing essentially is we're recapping some tricky legal situations that are involve celebrities over the past couple months and while they're all active so we don't actually know any of these lawyers have won yet in order to win they will have to make some some pretty challenging and convincing legal arguments. And for being in these situations, they are being considered for the poly. The nominees are, pronunciation is, it could be a little bit off, Nenye Uche, who is Jesse Smollett's lawyer, a recurring story on this podcast. He has appealed, as, as you know, Jesse sort of was convicted by a, a jury of his peers and then sentenced. And then his, his lawyer filed an appeal two weeks ago to basically say that, you know, there's some procedural issues at trial and he shouldn't be doing any jail time. Let's let's appeal this. And it's challenging because when you lose at trial, you you have pretty narrow grounds to appeal. You have to sort of demonstrate some procedural or evidentiary error that the jury heard something they weren't supposed to hear or that some evidence was inadmissible or maybe someone was potentially bribed or whatever. But you're not necessarily reopening the entire case without good cause. Yeah. So there's a presumption that the trial court was accurate. So he's got to sort of find a creative argument to say that there was some procedural miscarriage or that the sentencing was wildly excessive or you know egregiously wrong. So good luck to him. And then second nominee... Luke Nikas, who is Alec Baldwin's lawyer in the Rust, the various Rust civil lawsuits. I mean, the, the fact pattern is sort of well-documented. He was on the shooting of a low-budget film. He pulled a trigger on what he thought was a prop gun, and it happened to be a live round. And Halia Hutchins, uh, the director of photography, was shot and killed. And it's a super tragic event. And this is in arbitration now. But it's, you know, the facts are, are really not great for Alec Baldwin. I mean, in the sense that he did pull a trigger and someone got shot from the gun that he was holding, but there is this uncertainty. Why on earth would there be a live round in right. a movie right. set prop right. gun, right? So, you know, what did he know? What was his duty? You know, there's a lot of gray area here. And I think gray area is where lawyers really tend to succeed because they just have to create sort of ambiguity and doubt. But if Luke is able to win, then he will deserve a poly. Third nominee, 
I actually don't know the name of Dua's lawyer, and if she hasn't found one, time to call Paul. <laughs> or better uh, call but Paul. But as, as we talked about on episode five, Dua's been sued for copyright infringement for levitating, and so there's two cases sort of playing out as we speak. She, I don't know that she's filed a response to either, but she's been sued in New York and California federal court. She and her label and publisher. So as we discussed in episode five, music copyright cases are always tricky and very fact intensive and you need a lot of experts to decide it. And so winning that type of case is not going to be easy. No. I mean, I would assume that just ends up in a, hey, listen, just they get to be writer credit or publisher credits. You got to you got to pay them for you copy not that you purposely cop- copied the song, but there are notes here and stuff that are very similar, and we see this happen on on all the time. Yeah, it's unclear. Listen, there could be a financial impact. So these things get resolved the vast majority of the time through settlement, but sometimes you roll the dice. Yeah. If you think you're going to win and you want to go to trial. You roll the dice if you think you have a good case, and sometimes you can lose, yeah. right? And this happens. It happened in the Blurred Lines case where they ended up having to pay Marvin Gaye's estate 50% of the profits from the song. That would be an extreme result, and I don't know what would happen here, but it's not a simply a matter of giving them credit. It, there could be some money that changes, well, that's, especially sorry, given and that, the success. And, and that's what I mean. Besides, not the credit, the credit, and then as a result of the credit, they earn some percentage of royalties from the song. And then moving on, we've got... Travis Scott, who's also nominated in this case for, again, very tragic. So it, it was his show Astro World. There was a big tragedy in Houston where, I mean, it was just overly crowded and people got hurt. People died, 10 fatalities, hundreds of injuries, 2,800 plaintiffs, billions of dollars in damages. They're claiming that Travis Scott was negligent and recklessly disregarded life, incited violence, and encouraged people to jump on each other and start a mosh pit, ignore the screams of crowds, and performed his entire set while people had been dying for 40 minutes. Now, I've seen the TikTok videos on this, and we've discussed it a little bit. Like, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad when you watch it. You have people screaming to stop the show. He hears them, he acknowledges it, and then he gets, you know, he restarts the show. He makes people go wild. This one is super tough. I can't imagine with all the proof that's out there from I've I've listened to TikToks with evidence. evidence. Evidence is not proof. Sorry, sorry. With all the Ev- evidence out there. Well, it's, yes, evidence, but not necessarily proof. So the nominee for Travis Scott's lawyer in this is Dan Petrocelli, who is sort of a, you know, bet your career on this guy, you know, the person to call when you're facing a huge lawsuit, like billions of dollars of liability as, as Travis Scott is. And he represented Fred Goldman in the wrongful death suit against OJ. He's been involved in sort of entertainment litigations throughout his career. He also represented the former Enron CEO, Jeff Skilling. So he's he's no stranger to messy fact patterns. And let's see if he can get a good result for his client, as tragic as the whole event yeah. is or was. And then we have an honorable mention to Will Smith, given the events of the Oscars. Now, it seems that he's basically take some actions before anything could really go down. He's resigned from the Academy. You know, he's made a public apology. It seems like he's at least prepping for whatever might be coming his way, if anything at all. Paul, I think we both know who gets the the poly for best legal argument here. Well, as I'd say, you know, this really isn't decided until these cases are all decided. And the other thing about the poly is it is limited to litigators. So we got to figure out a way for the next iteration of this to bring in some transactional folks like myself. But 
I think our our winner is Nene Uche, Jesse Smollett's attorney. <laughs> Dude, this guy just keeps winning on this show. Congratulations on your poly. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, that's it, man. That's our that's our little mini award show. The Polly is kind of fun to do. I think we should continue doing them as award seasons pop up and we get to kind of like rehash all the things that we've talked about in the earlier episodes. But this was fun. I mean, I think we did a good job or at least decent job. Inaugural Polly's, you know, we can't nominate everyone. We certainly can't give awards to everyone. Otherwise, they'd have no value. But <laughs> if you feel like you were omitted, reach out to Lola Media. And if you like the episode, subscribe and listen. That's right. Make sure you guys are subscribed to Better Call Paul on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. And we'll be back next week. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera, Marco Seiler Gonzalez, with assistant producer Justin Sanchez and assistant research producer Haas Nasser. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>